If you can't get in the Christmas spirit watching Sharon White and Greg Thompson sing, I really don't know what, what could do it. I think Greg's going to molt one day, come right out of his skin. You know, I just, keep, I just keep waiting for that. He's so excited as he sings, and so many others are. We appreciate so much the ministry of our choir week after week and the ministry of our praise team and, and the way that they serve us and the way that they... Uh, Y'all have no clue, unless you've been part of it, the number of hours uh, that go into that. Uh, services like that, as well as a couple of weeks ago, lessons and carols. And so just publicly, I uh, want to thank them so much for that ministry. Uh, I really hope some of you have had the opportunity uh, to pick up this little booklet, uh, Is Christmas Unbelievable? If you haven't, we actually still have some at the uh, information desk out in the front foyer, as well as back by the Connect Center in the back. And I just really encourage you to grab one of those. Um, it's a cool little book. Uh, and what it does is it, it uh, especially if you enjoy kind of logical thinking, rational thinking, reasoning through things as you digest theology, as you digest, uh, digest uh, your beliefs. It's very helpful in that and is written kind of from that perspective and very thought-provoking. I really like one uh, line in particular that really jumped out at me. Um, in the final chapter of it, it says, this word was God and was with God from the very first. And as John's story unfolds, we find that the Word is Jesus. Now, here's the part I really like. God himself has been funneled into flesh like a tornado touching down, but bringing life instead of death. That's a powerful line. I wish I'd written that one. That was a powerful, powerful line. Is Christmas unbelievable? You know, we're talking... Um, I guess one question we need to ask, and by the way, go ahead and be turning to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, and, and if, if you don't have a Bible with you or a device or something, there's Bibles there in the pew, it's on page 1007, uh, and the Bibles are in the pew, I'd just really like you to be able to look at it as we go. We're going to kind of bounce around a little bit, a little different message this morning. But what are we talking about when we say Christmas? I mean, let's face it, everybody doesn't mean the same thing, and everybody's not thinking the same thing when they use the word Christmas. Uh, and so what are we talking about? Is it just a, a season of celebration and a season of shopping? Is it a holiday spirit or kind of a spirit of giving and, and kind of a, a little period in the year where we especially emphasize giving to others and so forth? Are we talking about a, uh, a historical day when a historical figure was born? Or are we talking about an event when God became man and came to earth? And when we think through Christmas, what exactly are we thinking about? Now, I don't think that there are a lot of people um, who struggle with believing in Jesus. And when I say that, that struggle with believing Jesus was a real person, that Jesus existed. Virtually every major religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, they all acknowledge uh, a person named Jesus. Uh, and so I don't think a lot of people really struggle with that. Maybe people that don't 
know or haven't ever heard the story, uh, just in, in ignorance of just not knowing, of just having not heard. And I don't think most people really question the fact that uh, he was born this baby in, in, in Bethlehem. There's a lot of historical data toward those things, a lot of things that people can look at. His life was so impactful on the whole course of human history. It's well-documented historical events about him. I think the is-it-believable part comes when we start talking about who he really is. The unbelievable part comes when we begin to talk about the details of how he arrived here on earth, what he came for, and why that should matter to us. That's when a lot of the unbelievable kicks in. It's the God becoming flesh part, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the miracle working, the resurrection, the supernatural and the miraculous. That's what people struggle with, maybe. And I would imagine in a group this size, some of you in this room may struggle with some of that yourself. Now, there are logical arguments to be made, and that's, that's a lot of what is done here in, this, in the little book, uh, Is Christmas Unbelievable?, Uh, Last Sunday, Ronnie actually did a great job of just posing a couple of just thought-provoking points of of reasoning and understanding and logic. And if this is true, then is it not possible that this is true? Or if this happened this way, then don't you think this would have been very feasible for something to happen in this way? And if there can be miracles, and actually, uh, according to a Barna study, most people, even spiritual skeptics, believe in miracles and believe miracles can occur. If we believe at all in miracles, then the whole Christmas story doesn't really have to be so unbelievable. But I want to tell you something. There is no argument, no argument from science, no argument from history, No argument from archaeology, no argument from physics, no argument from any other place, no argument that will ever fully remove or eliminate the need for faith. Because by faith, Christmas, Christmas fully realized and embraced is an act of faith. Hebrews 11, chapter 6, if you've you've turned there, verse 6 says, Verse, 11, uh, verse 6, rather, not chapter 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So what is faith? What is this faith that we must have to please God? Well, the writer of Hebrews answers that just a little bit up the page from where you are in verse 1. He says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's the English Standard Version. Um, I really like that in the New International Version, which says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That's what faith is. Now, faith is not wishful thinking. You know, sometimes we'll really feel like God may want us to do something. Or feel kind of some direction, but there really is no hard, clear biblical promise or biblical directive toward that. And, and we will say, you know, we're going to step out in faith to do this. But the reality is, 
God has never promised to fulfill all of our dreams or desires or wishes or those things, but he has promised to be true to his word. He has promised to be faithful to his promises, and that's what faith really is. It's taking God at his word, trusting him to fulfill his promises. But those words, assurance and conviction, powerful words of confidence, because the hopes are based on promises, not wishes. You know, it's easy sometimes to treat faith as sort of the last resort. When anything logical and all logical reason, when all is lost, then I guess we'll give faith a try. When we understand it, faith is really the first thing, not the last thing to turn to. You've heard the expression, seeing is believing. But the fact of the matter is, we may need to believe sometimes before we can really see. And maybe our lack of the ability to see has a lot to do with our lack of willingness to believe. When faith is where we begin, then God opens our eyes. And he opens our eyes to see things that we would not otherwise see. Things we would not even know to look for. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. David Chapman, in his commentary on Hebrews, says this. He says, by defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in imaginary, wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it to pass. The whole book of uh, chapter of Hebrews 11 is all about people who lived, who suffered, some died holding firm to something they had not seen and would not see in their lifetime. Verse 4, by faith Abel. Verse 5, by faith Enoch. Verse 7, by faith Noah. Verse 8, by faith Abraham. Verse 11, by faith Sarah. 17, by faith Abraham again. Verse 20, by faith Isaac. 21, by faith Jacob. 22, by faith Joseph. 23, by faith Moses. 31, by faith Rahab, a prostitute, believed and received the promise of God. All these And so many more, though they didn't see, believed a conviction, a certainty of things not seen. But uh, they didn't feel slighted. They didn't feel shorted. They trusted that God had something yet to come. They were sure of what they'd hoped for. They were certain of what they didn't see, even if it was not in their lifetime. these These faith heroes... There were realities for which they had no material evidence, yet they were no less real to them. No less confident in their reality. Not wishful thinking, not fanciful, some kind of whimsical platitudes that they just kind of spouted out. But these were promises that were made to them by a trustworthy God. And they saw their fulfillment not because it had happened in their lifetime, but because they believed with unwavering faith that it would. Now, admittedly, Hebrews 11 is not the typical Christmas Sunday passage. We normally think about Luke 2 or Isaiah 9 or the first chapter of Matthew when we think about Christmas texts. But the fact is, Hebrews 10 and 11 have Christmas stamped all over them. They have so much to say about it. 
It's all about those who believed in something that they, they didn't see at all or only saw from afar. And even though they hadn't seen it, for some, they gave their life for it. And what they did not see with their eyes, they believed in their hearts. Having not seen, they saw the hope before them because of that belief. Hebrews 11 is that hall of fame of faith. It's a registry of Old Testament believers, many of the great deeds that they did. But there's something more laced throughout the text. We don't have time to go through all of it today. But there's something more. If you go back and read through, what's it really pointing to? What's it really saying? There's a looking forward that is going on. There's a continuous forward look that these Old Testament saints understood. Their faith was not just for that which was immediately in their sight, but there was something before them that they believed and they held to. It was something much greater. See, Hebrews 10 uh, verse 4 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. These heroes of the faith, they had a sacrificial system that they lived under. They had a system that they lived under in, in which their sins through the sacrificial system were covered. And they were covered for the year, but only the blood of one yet to come could truly rid them of their sins, take them away as far as the east is from the west, and remember them no more. God had promised them there was a Messiah coming. God had promised them that there was a Redeemer coming who would once for all rid them of sin, their sin in the sense of their sin account. And that's why this is about Christmas, because it's that baby it's that baby laid in that manger. It's that baby whose birth was announced to the shepherds. It's that baby who was God taking on flesh that was the one that those Old Testament saints looked to and hoped for and believed for. And by faith, Christmas was there for them to be that perfect superior sacrifice that would once for all bring complete forgiveness for sin. Something the blood of the animals in their sacrificial system simply could not do. And they never saw, but they believed. Because they believed, they saw with greater clarity. Many logical arguments to be made for believing, sound arguments for the biblical account of creation, sound arguments for the miracles, for saying that, that Jesus was the Son of God. A lot that was shed light on some, some in the little book that I shared with you. But none that will take away the need for faith. Because our whole system is a system of believing faith. See, the Old Testament saints believed and had faith in a Messiah to come. They believed, as it were, in, in a Christmas future. They didn't call it that. But they believed that their Messiah was coming. Today we have a faith in a Messiah that has come. We believe in a Christmas past, the effect of which is unending. We didn't see it either. But we believe. We believe that it was Jesus. The one of whom that angel that appeared to Joseph. And Ronnie talked about Joseph last week. And Joseph is one of my favorite characters 
in the New Testament because you talk about a man of mercy and a man of compassion and a man who was willing to take on the potential reproach of a whole society for what he was choosing to do in obedience to God. Because God said to him, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. He said, she's going to have this baby, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 of Matthew 1 says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Now, that had been spoken some five or six hundred years earlier. And what did that prophet say five or six hundred years earlier? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, I know many of the people in this room believe that already. Um, and pretty much everything I have said, you, you already believe. You believe that Mary was a virgin. You believe that she was made pregnant through, in some miraculous way that we don't understand by the Holy Spirit. You believe that she was a virgin who bore a child. You believe that that child was the Son of God. But likely in a group this size, there's some who don't. Maybe even you once did. Maybe you, uh, at a point and period in your life, you were a follower of Jesus and, and believed all these stories and grew up believing these stories, but somewhere along the way, you just, you just couldn't quite do it anymore. Or maybe you've really never thought about it much. It's just not been something that was in your heart or in your mind or you've ever given much attention to it. You see, our sinfulness has been a thing since Adam and Eve were in the garden. And in the Old Testament, there was this temporary system, this foreshadowing of things to come where sacrifices covered the sins of the people. Then they had to come back and do it again and again because it didn't really take them away. But there was one coming who would take them away once and for all. That's why when we celebrate communion, that's why the Lord Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And that's the one Jesus on whom we must believe for our sins to be forgiven. The one whose birth Christmas celebrates. The one those saints of old had faith would take away their sins. Acts 16.31, when Paul and Silas were asked, you know, how, how can I be saved by the Philippian jailer? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And I plead with you. You may have questions, but you know what? All our questions don't have to be answered. Faith is not when we've got all our questions answered and there's absolutely nothing left to have to push over or push through. If honest, some of us know that the heart longs for something to believe in. That the heart longs for something that's, that's deeper than the things of this world and, and, what, and, and the satisfactions and the pleasures and the, the peace and the, 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 the ability to, to know any kind of happiness that can be so shallow sometimes. If we're honest, we know sometimes we're just kind of yearning and, and longing for something to give meaning and greater purpose to our very existence and hope for something 
beyond this life. And there's still a little leap. Maybe there's still a question. And maybe it's still that I just, man, it's so hard. That leap is called faith. It's stepping across that believing without seeing. And that is not a reckless, careless leap into something, some bizarre abyss. It is a calculated, sensible leap into truths that have been setting people free for thousands of years. For generations that people have turned to. That have stood the test of generation after generation. And if that tug is there today, if you sense or you feel, I just need to do something more than just going day to day. There's something within me that God is drawing me to something. Please, don't tarry in a decision for that. The greatest gift ever given to mankind, God giving his son, his only son, to take on flesh, and we'll talk about that more tonight, to take on flesh, to live a perfect life, to die for our sins, and then says, receive this gift. Receive this gift. And he waits for that receiving. Would you do that today? Just in a simple prayer, a prayer of faith. Not a prayer of absolute knowledge, but a prayer of faith, believing that what God says is true, believing without seeing all that is there. Let's pray together. Father God, we will never have every possible question about you answered. We will never understand fully all the infinite things, the miraculous things, the things that defy human reasoning and understanding. But God, I have to believe that there are some, maybe in this room, maybe not, but who are saying, I've seen so much, I've understood so much, but there's still a hole. There's still a gap. And Father, I pray that by faith, by faith, they would pray a simple prayer of belief, a simple prayer of faith, taking you at your word, that you will forgive their sins, and you will come into their life, and you will make them new, and you will give them the opportunity to be your child. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because he came to earth to live and die for us. Father, burn that into our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.